You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. I am so excited. I don't know why. Uh, I love Jesus. I was, I was awake about four this morning, just laying in my bed, just like that same kind of feeling when you went to Disneyland when you were a kid or something like that, or the first day of school, or uh, maybe, possibly, those two things never excited you, but something excited you, and so I just am uh, anticipating uh, the goodness of God to continue. Uh, his presence has been here this morning, and um, I want to invite you, uh, last chance, I want to invite you to a class this afternoon called Westside 301. It's called Introduction to Leadership. And I just want to talk about this for a couple minutes. Uh, One of my main responsibilities here at Westside is to raise up, to train, to equip, and release leaders into uh, what God has called them to be. So a lot of times people sitting in the seats, I know exactly what you're thinking. You're going, that's not me, like this, like, woohoo, like, you got to go. And, uh, but I want to tell you this, as a believer... As a believer, you are a leader. Not everybody's going to be a leader in the church. Not everybody's going to be a deacon or an elder. Not everybody wants to be. And we don't want everybody to be because there needs to be like a 10 to 1 ratio or something of leadership in that. But you guys are all called to leadership. If anything, you're leading the generation to follow you. Parents, you're raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You have a leadership responsibility. Uh, if you're a boss, if you're a supervisor or a manager or an entrepreneur, any of those kind of things, you have this leadership. If you have a political profile or, or if you're a teacher or, you know, just if you're a shift supervisor at the hospital or something, uh, you have these responsibilities of, of being a leader. You are called as a believer to be salt and light in this world. And salt and light is leadership. That means you are demonstrating. You're not it, but you're just saying, follow me as I follow Christ. There's this leadership culture, a culture of leadership that should be upon every believer. You have a mandate. Parents, you have a mandate to raise your kids up in the huge moral vacuum that's going to sweep our nation. If you think it's bad now, just wait 20, 25 years. It's going to be horrible. We need to have a whole generation of leaders uh, to come in and, and shine brightly for Jesus. So that, on, on one hand, we're all leaders. On the other hand, we're not all leaders in the church. But this is for leadership in general. So it, it benefits all kinds of people. The thing is, I've heard of a lot of people going, but not very many have signed up. And so if you're planning on going, make sure that you've signed up uh, because there's going to be a meal afterwards. If you need child care, there's child care nursery through fifth grade. Uh, and so that has to be signed up for and... This is the last, 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 last minute, too. I really would like to encourage you to go, because I don't teach this very often. The last time I taught it was in 2010, so it's been uh, several years uh, since I taught this class. So uh, that's my personal invite to you. We're in our series on Authentic, and uh, this is the second to the last week of this series. We're going to finish off next week, uh, two weeks from, or uh, after that, we're going to get into... Um, we're going to get into a, a sort of a Christmas season uh, of messages, and um, I'm looking forward to that, getting ready for that already. We're going to take a look at uh, different perspectives of Christ's birth. There's four different Gospels, and uh, taking a look at four different angles at looking at that and how that affects us today. And so uh, looking forward to that. Now, this morning, 
we're, we're doing something here this morning we have never done before at Westside. I only got through half of my talk during the first service. I'm going to finish it this service. So this, this is on you now. This is for you because you're leaders. So you're gonna, if you want to hear the whole thing, your, half of your notes are going to be blank. So if you want to hear the whole thing, you've got to go online. We're posting both 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. service this morning. And so you'll get the complete picture. So you guys can listen to the 9 o'clock service. And I told the 9 o'clock service to listen to this service. All right? So you can test out our new website. And you can do all those kind of things. And so, yeah, let's uh, look at the website. Uh, Eugene, I'm going to wake you up there. And let's go to westsideinfo.com and just show people how easy it is on our new website uh, to get to our messages. See how easy it is. And... uh, (laughs) <laughs> sorry eugene that was paul's idea all right is paul okay anyway so it's is it coming shake your head yes no it's not coming all right that's how easy it is all right so yay okay so oh we got the you can he's on the editing version okay see that little black bar over there that's not supposed to be there so um so all you do is you scroll down a bit, and there's three big buttons. Scroll down a little bit. There's three big buttons. There we go. There's the latest message. There's upcoming events, and there's blogs. So that one with latest message, you just click on that, the gray one on the left. You just click there, latest messages, and there you go. There's last week's sermon. And if you scroll down, you can see the whole series of authentic. That's since we started in August. Keep going a little bit further, and then you got some more buttons. More, more, more. Okay, so those are previous series. If you want to hear anything from the Acts series, the Holy Spirit series, the Obedience series, or the NCMI Equip, you just click on those, and all those ones come up. It's really easy. And so uh, that was free. And all right, okay. It works really good on your phones and your iPads, too, now. So uh, it took years for us to do that. We are so high-tech here. And... uh, (laughs) All right, we're on authentic. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. I'm going to read through uh, the, the scripture this morning. And John, in this, this passage this morning, he starts recapping all the stuff that he said. So as I read this, I'm going to point out different messages that we've preached out of First John so far. And then we're going to highlight a couple of phrases that he, that he uh, describes about believers growing and being more mature and those kind of things. So that's what we're going to highlight today is some qualities. What does it look like to be a maturing or growing uh, believer? And so uh, this message is for all of us. If you're just searching, if you haven't given your heart to Jesus yet, you're welcome here, of course. Uh, But at the same time, I encourage you to take your next step. I encourage you today, say yes to Jesus. If you are a seasoned saint, you've been around the block, you know all these things, you still have more to do. You know why I know? Because God hasn't called you home yet. And so you still got a job, you're still here. Otherwise, when you're done, he calls you home. And, and it's a wonderful privilege we have. Every breath we have is to serve Jesus till the day we close our eyes here and open our, our, our eyes in his presence. And as I look around the room, everybody here has family that has gone on to be with Jesus. And that is our, that is our extreme 
uh, privilege that we have as children of God to know that our loved ones are in His presence. They're in far more joy than we could ever even imagine right now. And I believe, because Hebrews, uh, Hebrews says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I believe that they see us. We're, they're witnesses to us. And I don't know if they see it on a DVD screen or if they look over the cloud. I don't think it's like that. But somehow, some way, they're witnessing uh, to the future or to the, uh, the yeah, the, it was their future generation. So, and I'm not going to write a book about that. That's just things that I see in Scripture. All right, First John chapter 4. I'm going to read this passage. So, Father, I pray that you'd open our eyes, open our hearts today. Your word says that the Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth. I pray, oh God, that you would show us and reveal truth to us today, each person here today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First John chapter 4, starting verse 9. God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That is the gospel in a nutshell. The gospel means good news. Good news is that which can be uh, shared, spread about. You can tell your story of when you encountered Jesus. John is telling his story of when he encountered Jesus. Each one of you who have said yes to Jesus have a story, and nobody can take that away. Nobody can say, no, 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 that didn't happen. You say, yes, 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 it did happen to me. Jesus came into my life. I've never been the same Again, I have encountered Jesus. God Almighty stepped out of eternity into my area of time and space and revealed himself to me. I embraced him. I asked him to forgive my sin. I believe that Jesus is who he said he was, and my life has never been the same again. That's the gospel, the good news. We're never going to ever, ever, ever stop saying that. John started out this book by saying that he encountered Jesus. He saw him. He touched him. He heard him. And and, uh, he said, when you encounter Jesus, you'll never be the same again. You will proclaim it. So we had a couple of talks about that. In verse 11, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. We spoke about loving one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. We spoke about discernment last week. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Uh, We spoke a message on testifying and proclaiming. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us. Uh, An authentic believer knows the truth we spoke about. And we have put our trust in His love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. That's our central theme today. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face Him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. We spoke on, on authentic believers have confident faith. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. We love each other because He first loved us. 
We spoke on authentic believers demonstrate love. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. Remember, we said John was a really good boxer. All right? Uh, That person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? We spoke on loving one another. And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. We spoke on an authentic believer obeys God's word. So that is kind of, he's kind of recapping, coming to the end of his letter uh, to the church, to us. Uh, But we want to key in on some of the things that we haven't keyed in yet. And we're talking about this thing about growing and maturing. Number one, God expects us to grow and mature. Verse 12 says, his love is brought to full expression in us. And uh, Paul says in Philippians 1.6, he says, I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you. Now, when you said yes to Jesus, when you became a Christian, a Christ follower, when he began his good work in you, here's his promise. He's going to continue it until the day of Jesus Christ, until the day that you meet Jesus, whether that's the day you die or the day Jesus comes back and we all see him. This work, God's work in you, is going to be perfected and grow in you and mature in you until that day. We're not done yet. That's why I know we all have a a job to do. We still have a purpose here on this earth, uh, and that's to grow and to mature and to increase His kingdom. God is always about increase. He always has been. From Genesis, uh, at the very beginning, um, uh, Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. In Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abraham, through you and your seed, All the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God's promise. It says of Jesus in Isaiah, of of the increase of his kingdom, there shall be no end. When Jesus was growing up with Joseph and Mary, it says he grew in wisdom and stature. And Paul says in Philippians 1.6, I'm confident of this thing, uh, very thing that he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. God has always been about, always been about you growing and maturing, not staying. He's always been about you. If you picture the children of Israel, he's always been about you coming out of Egypt and going into the promised land. There's several verses in in Deuteronomy, Numbers back there, where the children of Israel come out of Egypt. That represents our old life, by the way. Everything the children of of Israel did and everything they went through, everything they learned, parallels our life. That's why it's there. It's good for us to learn. So Egypt represents your old life. It represents sin. God pulled you out of there by a miracle. And there was uh, all the plagues that, you know, Moses was saying to the Pharaoh, let my people go. And finally, they let them go and they got into the desert and they were supposed to go to the promised land. They sent spies into the promised land, and they came back with a bad report. They were too afraid. There's giants in the land. There's walled cities, and we can't get there. So God said, you guys didn't believe me, so this generation is going to die out here. And the younger generation, all those uh, 20 and under, you're going to grow up and be adults, and you are going to um, go into the promised land. So it's only about an eight or nine day journey from Egypt to Israel. They stayed in the desert for 40 years. All right. 
Now, here's the parallel for us. Many of us come out of our old life. We accept Jesus. We, we ask him to forgive our sin. We're, we're forgiven. We're going to be going to heaven. We're saved. We're out of our old life. And we're happy to just remain here and just wander and never grow. It's very sad, but there's a lot of believers that have been Christians for decades, and they're still just like little toddlers walking around in the desert. They haven't grown. They haven't applied the truths of God in their life. They haven't grown. They haven't allowed God to stretch them. They haven't been able to do some of the stuff that he's called them to do. But God never designed us to stay here. He always designed for us to come out of so that we can go into the promised land, into all of God's promises. God's dream for you is bigger than your dream for you. It is. The dream that you have, the desire that you have to serve God and make a difference in your sphere of influence, whether it's in business or or in government or in the church or whatever, in your home, in your family, God's dream for you is always bigger than your dream for you. And that's God's design is for us to grow. Uh, Number two, John says that we will someday be complete. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. That Greek word for perfect means to be mature, to uh, be uh, fulfilled, to finish, uh, to accomplish, uh, to be mature and fulfill all those things. That's what that's talking about. All right? So now here's where we come into... uh, Here's where we come into, you guys are going to get the second half. I have a huge old long list with 50,000 things in it. Uh, and I only got halfway through in the first service. We're going to go down to the second service. So please, when you have time this week, uh, listen to the first half and you get the whole complete uh, picture. So uh, you don't have to, you get to. All right, there's a big difference. So it's really good, wasn't it? Anybody here in the first service is really good. All right, okay. So thanks. Thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Um, the very last one, I said these are signs or qualities of a believer that's maturing. And, and I say maturing on purpose. None of us are mature. None of us have arrived. All of us are on our way. All right? So we agree to that. This, we're, this is a process. We are saved. That's justification for you theologians. We are being saved. That's sanctification. That's the process, the ongoing process where Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's not talking about this. Jesus did that. He did the justifying. He did the payment for us. We can't change that. We can't add to that. We are saved. But we are being saved as we allow God to work in us. And ultimately, we will be saved. That's glorification. You can write a book on that, and then I won't have to. All right. So uh, part of one of the qualities that I finished off with in the first service was uh, a, a maturing believer is learning how to forgive in an instant. And it's about halfway down your list for those of you taking notes. Learn how to forgive right away. I have a friend. His name's Dudley Daniel. And uh, he actually started uh, NCMI, New Covenant Ministries International, about 35 years ago. And he used to say, he used to get up and say, you got 30 seconds to get over it and forgive. Somebody hurts you you got about 30 seconds to get over it. And he came back a couple years later, and he goes, I have to uh, repent and tell you I'm sorry. He goes, I can't find anywhere in the Bible where you get 30 seconds. He goes, you have to do it right now. You have to do it instantly. A mature believer understands 
that we don't hold on to unforgiveness. We know that unforgiveness, if not dealt with, turns into resentment. If that's not dealt with, it turns into bitterness. If that's not dealt with, it turns into hatred. If that's not dealt with, Jesus says hatred is murder. It will rot us out from the inside out. It's not the person who did the wrong, usually, that's being tormented. It's the person who uh, is holding on to unforgiveness. They're the ones that still moles over, sometimes 5, 10, 20 years later. It's still eating them alive on the inside. It's not healthy. It's not good. And and listen, uh, if your 5-year-old wants to learn how to drive and you say, no, 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 you can't drive because you're not mature enough. You don't know how to, you don't have the skills. You don't have peripheral vision. You don't understand the big picture and, and, and the safety issues like this. We wouldn't say, we wouldn't get mad at them because they're not ready. We'd just say, that's where you're at. You're not ready yet. And so when we, as a believer, a maturing believer, go through life and somebody throws a dart our way or says something unkind or, or, or does something really awful to us, we can say, we can ju- just the same way as say, without being condescending, And it's just up here. You don't say it to them. You just say up here, that's where they're at. That's where they're at right now. They don't want to to forgive or they're mean or they're, they're, they're this way. And so all I can do is I can pray for them. All right? And just take a step back. Understand that we need to forgive. We need to walk in freedom. Jesus said, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And Paul said... Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Why are you going back into slavery again? And I'll tell you what, bitterness and resentment and hatred is slavery. It's bondage. And Jesus sets you free from that. Don't hold on. And some of you have really, really bad things that have been happen, happened to you. Even those, even those of you, that still has to be forgiven and walked through. And if you need some help, if you need a good friend, uh, just talk to any... It, particularly the ladies. I just want to pause on the ladies right now. If you are a mature, maturer, maturing lady in Jesus and you would be willing to talk with somebody who needed to talk this through, what I'm talking about right now, after the service, just put your hand up. I'm sure that we've got dozens of ladies that would be willing to talk with and pray with people after the service. Just come to the front and those ladies will be watching for ladies that come up here. really want to minister to that today. All right? A maturing believer... The next one down is more and more willing to use their resources for the kingdom. A maturing believer understands that their stuff is not theirs. They are stewards of that stuff because everything they have belongs to God. And that's actually a biblical economy. And that actually should be our economy in the world, by the way. A biblical economy is not communism or capitalism. It's stewardship and responsibility. As simple as that. We do not own our stuff. We are stewards of it. I don't own my intellect and my strength. It all belongs to God. It was all a gift from God to work. I steward my stuff, my house, my car, everything. I, 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 I am a steward. That means it doesn't belong to me. I'm taking care of it for somebody else. And responsibility means that I'm responsible to do it as if it was my own. And so it's, very, it's a very simple uh, economy. It's a very mature way to look at, at an economy. Uh, I have a friend. His name is Rory Dyer. He's a pastor. He was baptizing a guy one time. And the guy was going into the water. He was apparently a new believer and a fairly wealthy guy. He was walking in with his watch and his wallet and his car keys. And they said, no, 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 don't take that stuff out. And he goes, no. He goes, you don't understand. When I gave my life to Jesus, that included everything, including my time, my money, and my stuff. 
That's what we do when we give our life to Jesus. It's everything that I am, everything that I ever hope to be. That's a maturing believer. A maturing believer moves from desire to discipline to delight in their time with the Lord, in their time in the Word and prayer. And we, some people call it quiet time, and some people's quiet time isn't quiet. It's loud, so you can call it a loud time. But whatever it is, it's time with the Lord regularly. It says Jesus often went up early in the morning to pray and to spend time with the Lord. And so we as maturing believers, we know, and here's what I, I'm talking about, desire. If I said, okay, how many people should pray more? You know, uh, that's something everybody raises their hand. How many want to love Jesus more? Yeah, I do. How many want to know the word more? Yeah, okay. So that's the desire. We have the desire. You've got to move from there to discipline. Because sometimes it takes discipline. They say it takes 30 days to form a habit. And uh, once you form a habit, you're forming your destiny, by the way, uh, because your habits form your attitudes and your attitude forms your destiny. And so we get in this habit and we discipline ourselves to spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer, get up early, whatever it is, and spend time with the Lord before we start our day. And eventually we find ourselves in the middle of that and it's just a delight, God. I wouldn't do anything but this. I wouldn't do anything but spend time with you. And a maturing believer understands that and moves progressively uh, through those. Uh, we can go, we can get busy. I know, I've done it too. You, you, you forfeit your time with the Lord in the morning because you've got to skedaddle fast. Jump on the freeway, do your job. You know, it goes three, four, five days, two weeks. You might be able to go for a while on what was in your cup. But your cup is going to be draining fast. And that's not the way to live. Because the description of somebody who's healthy is that their cup is overflowing. And that overflows. If your cup is below the top, you're not, going, you're not giving out. It's for you. It's your overflow that goes to others and impacts others. And we desperately need to keep full in our relationship with the Lord. A maturing believer um, is less and less concerned with what man thinks and more and more concerned with what God thinks. Does that make sense? Sometimes we live our whole life based on what people think of us. What? You're giving up your vacation to go to the equip in Denver this summer? Are you nuts? Like this? And you go, uh, no, actually... Uh, it's something I want to do. Or how about um, less and less concerned what man thinks in our worship? Oh, I would never put my hands up. Even though the Bible has so many hundreds of verses about extravagantly worshiping God. And that could go from desire to discipline to delight. But I don't feel like worshiping like this. It's not about how, how you feel, honestly. A, a maturing believer knows that worship is not about how you feel. He's worth worshiping because he's worthy. And that's why David calls it a sacrifice of praise. Why? Because you're sacrificing your own feelings and your own desire as a maturing believer. You could give a rip what other people think. I am going to worship God. And I'm not saying there's a formula for worshiping God. 
I've been in churches where they don't raise their hands. We raise hand, hands, or freedom to raise our hands in this church. I've been in churches where they don't, and they absolutely love God, and they don't raise their hands. I'm not talking about a formula or a style. I'm talking about freedom in worship. Yeah. And when the Bible says, clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with a voice of praise, there is much, much, much room for freedom and expression in worship. The Lord certainly dances over you with singing, the Bible says, and dances over you with delightful joy, just like mommy and daddy do when their kid takes their first step. All right? And so he's worthy of praise. It has nothing to do with our feelings. We might be encouraged. We might be strengthened. We might be all those things. That would be great. That's a great byproduct, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is he is worthy to be praised. All right? So um, a maturing believer is becoming more unified with and identified with the body of Christ. That's the church. So when we have, a, have friends that have a church in Paris, they've, they planted about five years ago, they've already, from their church, they've already planted two other churches in France out of that one church, and they're only five years old. And so Fred and, and Vanessa are doing a great job there. They've already hosted some GTTs, times, some training times there for Europe and the region. And if you want to go to the next equip in uh, France, uh, let me know, and I'll find out the dates for you. Uh, we have five that we're targeting this next year uh, around the world in Australia, in New Zealand, two in Canada, and one in the United States. But if you really want to go to France, or you really want to go to Germany, or you really want to go to Zimbabwe or Malawi, or Indonesia, or uh, Thailand, or Hong Kong, um, or Singapore, or um, Egypt. That one you have to go in under the radar because you can't be known or seen. Or the, Cong- the, uh, the Congo, Democratic Republic of the Congo. Or um, I could go on and on because there's about 40 of them around the world that we're connected with. And so don't forget, next year our, our theme is going to be, therefore, go. All right? Uh, but we, when, when uh, Fred and Vanessa and their church members, and they have uh, four, four, four people from their church, some of the, uh, the terrorism acts happened right around the corner from their houses, and a whole bunch of other people in their church were supposed to be in those regions, but for some random reason, he put in quotations, we know it's God, they weren't there, they couldn't go. Uh, we identify with them and we pray for them and we, our heart goes out for them because they, they have an opportune moment. In the midst of tragedy, they have an opportune moment to shine brightly. We identify with them. When one member of the body suffers, we all suffer. When some of you are sick and going through incredible stuff, we suffer with you. Seriously. Let me ask you this. This is just a, you know, just a little illustration. If I hit my thumb with a hammer... Does my whole body identify with my thumb? All right, yes. When you suffer, we all suffer. When you rejoice, we rejoice. All right? And more and more, we realize that we are part of, we're not it, we're part of the body of Christ. A maturing believer is responsible to finish what they committed to do. This is just part of growing up. I want to finish this walk that I started. I committed my life to Jesus. I'm going to finish. Paul says, I forget what lies behind me. I look forward. I look to Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I can, I can identify with that. I, I despise the shame. And, and 
Uh, he's seated at the right hand of the Father right now. I can do these things. I can identify and I can finish uh, what God started in me. Jesus said, it is finished. He finished. Paul said, I've run the race. I finished my course. See, he's a golfer. He said, I finished this thing bef- that was set before me. And we want to be finishers too. There's a book uh, by a guy named uh, Dave Kraft. Uh, he works with navigators. And he wrote this book, and it says, uh, Finishing Well. Or No, no, I'm sorry. It's Leaders Who Last. The subtitle is Finishing Well, Leaders Who Last. And the, the study done that only 30% of people who go into ministry uh, in the early age go through their whole life and finish what they started. Only 30%, 70% drop out. I don't want to be a church full of people that drop out this race. We want to finish well. And also, not only this race, this walk with Jesus, not only that, but we want to be finishers. If God called you to do something, if God called you to do something, you finish it. If God called you to go to school, God called um, Terry to go to school. To, to what's your name again? Uh, to, um, to go back to school. So on the day that our daughter Heather went to kindergarten, she was our youngest, Terry went back to JC. So for the next 10 years, uh, Terry went to school. And uh, for the 10 years previous to that, I went to school. So for 20 years, one of us was in college, and uh, she finished what God called her to do. And we, we, before she did it, she sat down and she said, okay, I'm going to go to law school. Is this going to be something we should do? And our son had a prophetic word uh, for her, and I also believe it applies to the person who asked online about this or asked for, for uh, input from friends who's sitting in this room right now. Brian gave a word to Terry. It applies to that person as well. He said, did God call you, call you to go? Okay, then, this, then the issue is settled. That's it. We'll make it happen. God called you to do it. We'll work together as a family and make it happen. And so um, are you a finisher? When I, when I interviewed people, I used to be a superintendent of a, of a big Christian school. We had 120 employees. And I was constantly interviewing people. And if they were in a job that required high school or if they were in a job that required university, I... I, the question I want to know, did you finish? Because you don't get that degree, you don't get that diploma until you finish. Yeah. And we have a whole culture that starts things all the time, but they don't finish things. Become a finisher. Finish those things. And uh, if you if you're, like, don't have a long attention span, become a contractor because you can finish things every week. You can finish another project, there's finish. But be a finisher, whatever you are, be a finisher, all right? Paul says, I press on. And I'll tell you what, there comes a point in a believer's life when they're tired of going around and around the mountain. In fact, that's referring to the children of Israel. God said to Moses, you've been going around this mountain long enough. That's 40 years was long enough because basically they've been kind of going around the mountain finding new camps. He said, you've been going around this mountain long enough. It's time to break camp and go. And sometimes there comes a time in a maturing believer's life. It could be early on, it could be later, but they're going to say, I am tired of playing a game. I want authenticity. I want to be a genuine believer. I am going to go. I'm going to finish this race that God called me uh, to do. Uh, An authentic believer is willing to wait and rest in God's timing. You don't make things happen on your own. 
Uh, there's a verse in um, Ecclesiastes that says he makes all things beautiful in his time. Used to be a song about that. That word beautiful, that Hebrew word there means appropriate. That which is at its loveliest and best. So like fruit on a tree. It's appropriate to pick. Either it's too soon and it will be sour or it will be too late and it will be rotten. But there's a perfect time to pick. Just ask any farmer in here. There's a perfect time to harvest, all right? And that's what he's saying. There's a perfect time. God's timing is better than our time. God told Abraham he'd have a son, and Abraham waited 25 years. Some of us can't even wait 25 minutes for one of God's promises to be fulfilled, all right? There's this waiting on God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Joseph waited 17 years from his dreams until he was in a position to uh, help Pharaoh. David waited 20 years uh, for Judah to become king of Judah. From when Samuel anointed him, it was 20 years later till he became king of Judah and then six or seven more years till he became king of united Israel. And Jesus said several times in his ministry, my time is not at hand. My time is not at hand. Are you coming into your kingdom now? My time's not at hand. And then one day, you know what he said? My time is at hand. It's now is the time. And so we want to wait for God's timing, whether it's to plant a church or to start a home group or to to, uh, do anything that God calls us to do. There's this wonderful balance of, I'm going to finish, I'm going to be ready, I'm going to position myself for it, but I'll wait until His timing is ready. A maturing believer understands more and more that God must be working something in me during times of adversity. That's a growing point. That's a maturing point. Things are going to go bad. Quit laying blame on everybody. Just say, God, what are you doing in me during this time? That's a great question to ask during struggles, during times of illness or financial collapse or those kind of things. Maybe my finances are a mess. God, what are you doing in me? Oh, you're working in me to become a better steward. And then I can be responsible with this stuff that you've given me. A maturing uh, believer understands that the God, little g, God of this world, is constantly bombarding us with false philosophies, deception, and lies through movies and TV and the media and the entertainment industry and journalism and education and even in the church. We talked a lot about that last week. There is a war going on with the little God, the little g, God of this world, and he's blinded the eyes of those that don't believe. And a maturing believer has an increasing understanding and fear or respect for God's authority and His delegated authority. The more you grow in God, the more you understand that God is in charge. He is sovereign. That means He rules over all. He is supreme. That means He is first over all. That's Almighty God. In fact, that's a big reason why many quote-unquote atheists don't believe in God is because if a, if a thinking person says, if I admit that there's a God, that means He created me and that means I'm accountable to Him. I don't want to be accountable to Him, so I'll just deny that He exists. How about that? And then I can do whatever I want. All right. Now, they may not say it in those words, but basically they don't want to be accountable 
to God, Almighty God. And so um, the more you grow in Christ, the more you understand that God has ultimate authority. Just read uh, Romans chapter 13, the first few verses there. Romans 13, one says, everyone, how many? Everyone. Everyone must, oh, Americans don't like that word must. Um, it doesn't say everyone should consider. Uh, it says everyone, it doesn't say everyone please. It says everyone must submit to the governing authorities. What? Those people were being ruled by Rome, a godless empire. A cult, you know, like a cult. Worshiping demons. Everyone must submit themselves to the governing authorities. I'm quoting exact out of NIV. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Uh, Every authority? Yes. You mean the policeman on the road? Yes. God put them in that position of authority. Now, every authority has a sphere of influence. Like, the elders have authority over leading this church here. They don't come into your house and tell you what color to paint your walls, all right? Their authority is in the family of the church, so to speak. Uh, A law enforcement officer, their authority is on the street or where you're driving or whatever, the laws that you need to obey. And uh, a school teacher, you know, has authority over your children uh, not to come into your house and start mowing your lawn and, you know, digging up plants and things like that. So everyone has a limited sphere of authority. So only God has inherent authority. Inherent means it resides in and originates from Almighty God. Only God has inherent authority. All other authority is delegated authority. That means if you're a parent, you have authority over your children because Almighty God gave it to you. Everyone, this is a a verse for children, everyone must submit themselves to the governing authorities. Who's that? It's mom and dad. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So when God gives authority to the parents to oversee the kids, the parents are representing God's authority. And I'll tell you what, God doesn't like to be misrepresented. Because most of us have had abusive or bad example authorities in our life. Whether it's a boss or a school teacher or a older brother or sister or whatever it is, if you're in a position of authority, it didn't originate with you. It originates with God. So if you're a school teacher, God gave the parents authority. They gave authority to you. The state didn't give you authority. They might think they did, but let's fool them. We know that God gave it to the parents. The parents are giving it to you during the day. God gives the parents the authority. The authority is delegated to the oldest sibling while the parents go off on a date. The oldest sibling is now in authority. Those younger siblings need to know that that authority comes from God through the parents, from God. And that oldest sibling needs to know that God doesn't like to be misrepresented, so you better represent him well in his ultimate love and care and highest concern for each person. So that's a greater understanding that we we, um, have as believers. A maturing believer is not shaken during tough times. Okay, I'm going to go back to that. People always say, well, what about Hitler? 
Well, it's very clear. Peter said to the Roman or to the Jewish Sanhedrin, he said, we must obey God rather than men. If your authority is telling you to out and out disobey God's word, then you have to respectfully decline to obey. Just, that's just the way it is. That's the easy answer to that. A maturing believer is not shaken during tough times. You're going to have tough times. God is in control. Terry talked about this. 1 Peter 4 Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. You're going to have tough times. Don't be surprised. You're going to have tough times. Don't let it throw you. As a maturing believer, you'll understand that these times come and go. There's good seasons. There's not so good seasons. And we learn how to be content. A maturing believer has an attitude of gratefulness. I'll tell you what, thankfulness and gratefulness are slipping really quick from our culture. Teach your kids to say thanks. Teach your kids to be grateful. Teach your children that they're not entitled to every little whim of theirs on this planet. A maturing believer owns up when they blow it. No excuses. We don't always blame somebody else. We just say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. A maturing believer has their identity in Christ. It's not in their looks. It's not in their athletic ability. It's not in their intelligence. It's not in their degrees. It's not in their, in their pedigree, it's in Jesus. A maturing believer says, none of this stuff matters. Like Paul, he was the most educated around. He had the best training. He had the best background. He said, none of that matters. He said, I am of Christ. I follow Jesus. He's my identity. And finally, that takes us into the last one, becoming more and more like Jesus. This is a long, long process. There's a couple more verses there that you can read on your own. I just want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't look backwards. Keep going forward. Yeah. Learn how to forgive. Learn how to go with the punches that, that life brings you. Ask God for wisdom. Ask Him for revelation because you have a huge mandate, and that's to represent Jesus. You're like a big, you're like a big mirror to the world. And what you do is you reflect Jesus, and you reflect Jesus. So when people look at you, they see Jesus, and you're reflecting Jesus to the world. Everybody sees Jesus in you. That's the mark, the biggest mark of a maturing believer. Father, thank you for this talk. I, I, I thank you that there's all kinds of practical stuff in here for us. I pray that you would speak to us particularly about it. I pray that everyone would go home today encouraged and strengthened and with some good stuff to chew on. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Great message. Hey, uh, it's on these little notes in front of you, all the bullet points of what Steve went over about maturing. I would encourage you, carry this with you and start digesting what, what are you going to do in your part of maturing in Christ. And it's a good tick-off uh, sheet to go through, and, and you'll see changes as, as the Lord gets a hold of you and you start ticking off these things, and you're maturing, and you'll see great things happening through you. So great message. Thanks, Steve. This is a time, as Westside, we like to stand, we like to worship. We like to celebrate communion. Remember, Jesus said, do this as often as you will in remembrance of me. So he died on the cross so that we can all have eternal life because we needed the forgiveness of sin. So that's what the crackers are, are symbolizing. And then the, the juice are the, represents his blood. He used wine in the Bible, but we use juice here. And, and it's representing the blood of the new covenant. And so when you've said yes to Jesus, you've made a covenant relationship forever that he is the Lord of lords 
and King of Kings in your life. So we do this as often as we will remember him. So we have it in the front and the back, as well as our baskets for our, our offerings, uh, tithes and offerings. Do as the Lord has asked you to do. Um, so let's stand. Let's worship Jesus. Let's put this into our heart. Let's become mature, authentic, real believers.